Hello and welcome to Grad Chat by PhD Balance, where we talk about topics of grad school beyond academic research and that may be more difficult to talk about in our day to day. I'm your host, Aiden. I'm the current digital media coordinator for PhD Balance. I'm currently doing my doing um, or in the process of mastering out of my PhD at the University of Saskatchewan. Um, and so before we go any further, I would like to pay respect and acknowledge that I occupy Treaty 6 territory, a traditional meeting grounds, gathering place and traveling route to the Cree, Soto, Blackfoot, Diné and Nakota Sioux nations. So if you missed the announcement, we are now pre-recording episodes for release. All episodes are still available via video on the PhD Balance YouTube channel and via audio on all major streaming platforms. And don't forget to subscribe to your chosen platform to get notifications about new episodes. So our topic today is working and going to school full time. And I'm excited to welcome our guest, Mikkel Joachim Sheher. Mikkel is a research program manager with Badger Athletic Performance and a full-time PhD student in clinical investigation, both at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Her research broadly focuses on injury prevention and recovery in athletes with specific expertise in biomechanics and injuries in distance runners. She currently holds a master's degree in kinesiology and anticipates defending her PhD dissertation in December of 2022. We're so pleased to have you on Grad Chat to discuss your experiences, Mikkel. Thanks so much for having me. Um, before we get to into in-depth questions, can you tell us a little bit about your work and your PhD, just like to kind of set our scene here? Yeah, so I have been in a research, full-time research role at University of Wisconsin for almost nine years. Um, and some of that was working while doing my master's. Um, and then I also, kind of just saw a gap in my skill set and a way that I wanted to be able to contribute to the field that was going to necessitate a PhD. Um, so by day, I work in a research lab with athletes and athletic performance. And then by night and every other waking moment that I have, I do a full-time PhD program, um, specifically looking at high school runners and collegiate runners and how we can keep them injury-free. Wow, that sounds really cool. So is that kind of, does it equate to about 40 hours of both of those a week, like a full-time uh, almost? I try to not pin it down too much, which I think we'll yeah. talk about later for <laughs> strategies for success. Um, you know, thankfully there's a lot of overlap in my specific work and school situation. So it is really hard to tell. Um, and it truly just depends on the week. So I, yeah, I would be hard pressed to put a specific number on it. I see. Yeah. Um, it definitely sounds like you're super busy, though, quite often, and you have a very busy schedule. So yeah. where do you find the time to juggle both of these? I think that um, the most important thing to recognize for this conversation is that this getting a PhD is really a passion project for me. So that's where the motivation to find the time yeah. comes from it. Um, I'm extremely fortunate, and I'm sure we'll have more detailed conversations about this later on about my specific work and school setup and the support that I get from both and the flexibility from both. So really what it comes down to is really good time management skills and um, being able to prioritize tasks and knowing if within a given week, where is the balance? Where do I need to devote my time? Is this a heavy work week? Is this a heavy school week? And also just being a little forward thinking about deadlines that are coming down the line and having some long-term planning strategies to make sure it can all get done. 
Absolutely. And I think it's really important that you mention it's a passion project, because if you don't have the um, drive to do your PhD, you, you start to burn out, which is exactly what happened to me. And that's why I'm mastering out of mine. Yeah. Um, so um, have you ever personally experienced like that overwhelming burnout during maybe in the yes. beginning or throughout you yeah, have? I okay. think unfortunately it comes with the territory. And um, a lot of people would say that if you don't have a complete, you know, panic moment or overwhelmed moment, maybe you're not doing it right. And I don't, necessarily agree with that narrative, but, um, you do need to acknowledge and accept the chaos that, you know, it just comes with the territory for my specific work, um, working with high schoolers, there was a very crazy couple of weeks going out to the high schools to recruit before the season started. And so just kind of taking a step back and acknowledging that this is just the period that I'm in, this is what's necessary to get it done, but this is temporary. Um, so I, cannot at all claim that I've been a rock star through this process or that it's, you know, come without tears or without uh, a few moments of, you know, why did I do this to myself? But it's really important to make sure that that's not your norm, that chaos and being overwhelmed is not what you go into each day thinking is going to happen. Um, And really evaluating, is this a temporary struggle that is necessary just based on where I'm at in my work cycle or relative to my dissertation work, or is this more of a pattern of behavior where maybe I need to reevaluate how I'm using my time and my stress reduction techniques to make sure that I can make it through this time. Yeah, I love that. And it's, it's just like moving up in any role, whether you're in like a corporate job, academia, industry, there's going to be periods in your life where there's going to be that overwhelm and it feels like everything's going to fall apart. But yeah, making sure it's a period, not um, everything else, not a norm for you. Um, So you you talked about being able to strategize in your time management. And so what, what has that looked like for you? What are some strategies you use? Um, Yeah, Yeah, I definitely um, tend to use my calendar as my to-do list. So I block time to do things. And if it doesn't get done, then I just pull that calendar event to the next day. And I think that really helps me feel like I have carved time out for each task. And if it doesn't get done, it's not that it's three pages prior in a to-do list. It is moved to a time where maybe I think that I will actually be able to achieve that goal. Um, But then I also think that really good communication with all parties involved. So I personally have a spouse that you know, needs to be on board with this and has been very supportive, but making sure that we have similar expectations that he doesn't think we get to go be social, but I'm actually working against a deadline. Um, And then similar with friends and coworkers and um, others in my program, just making sure that we all kind of are aware of the situation and aware of what expectations are at any given time. And that goes for family too, right? Like you know, my parents are thankfully nearby and like to see us and come over a lot and just kind of setting boundaries is really important as well. But, um, I think a lot of people feel like they can miss out on social things or like, there's always something that you should be doing for work or for school and taking a break to actually see friends or go Mm -hmm. to a concert or just take a nap, um, are also really helpful for keeping your work-life balance in check. Absolutely. I think those are really great points, especially the communication with 
and creating those boundaries with families and friends. Because if you don't have, if your immediate friend group is not all PhD students and all full-time workers, like that'll create some difficult conversations for if they're wanting to go out every weekend and you just, you can't. <laughs> for sure. And they, that, that's my exact situation. No one else is in school, so they don't really get it, nor should they. Um, mm-hmm. So I think what, another strategy that's been helpful for me is every time I say no, I try to accommodate a different time or a different thing yeah. that we can do. So no, maybe I can't come over for dinner, but let's get something on the books for two weeks from now. Um, just yeah. to kind of feel like you're not just constantly saying no and you have reserved future time to get that break Absolutely. from work and school. Yeah. And you deserve that break as well. So, oh, it's so, so you need that time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So speaking of conversations, um, what type of conversations do you need to have early with those employers and advisors and how early or how often should they be had? Yeah. So I am so fortunate that my employer is my advisor. So oh, that nice. Out. Oh they, my God. <laughs> they can talk to each other quite easily. Yes. <laughs> um, but that's not always the case, right? Like I have a few um, classmates in my program who don't work for the university. They work for a different healthcare system or a nonprofit in the community. And so I think that when you are going into the early phases of, I might want to go back to school, you really need to one, figure out if your employer supports that. Getting mm-hmm. a PhD in any capacity is a big time commitment. And so thankfully my program is catered to working professionals. So a lot of the courses start later in the day where you can come after work, but that's not always the case. And so feeling out with your employer, what's the flexibility? Can I take, can I reserve a conference room to take a virtual course or can I leave early or come late two days a week? Like how can we all make this work? Um, And then with your advisor also, I mean, similarly having a conversation, like if I need to hop on a work call when I'm in the lab, or um, if this restricts the days that I can do data collections because of work commitments, is that actually going to work? So I think when you're applying to programs is a great time to start that conversation, if not a little earlier when you're wanting to see if it's feasible. Uh, But when you're kind of interviewing your potential advisors, make sure they are 100% clear that you're wanting to work full time, not affiliated with the lab and make sure that they truly understand the time commitment and are willing to work with you because like people don't know what you don't tell them right and so if you're not very upfront about your work or your school situation, it's going to get away from you a little bit and um, people aren't going to remember the dem- the total demands on your time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it, it feels almost um, a bit disingenuous to not be upfront about well, that right away. Because just that, just because and- if you, what if you get into a prod, uh, a school into this program and all of a sudden you. A hundred percent. But I think yeah. the other thing is we all think that it's going to be fine. Right. Yeah. And so even if you're not being disingenuous, you might just be a little overconfident about yes. your capability yeah. to get everything yeah. done. <laughs> so I think just sort of like taking an honest evaluation of yourself and maybe rounding up a little bit on what you think some of the time commitments would be to have those conversations. So everyone's fully prepared for what is to come. Yeah. So for your, for your specific case, do you do like evenings and weekends in the lab or evenings and weekends work? Yeah, I specifically am very fortunate that I can just kind of do a flex schedule. So if I need to carve an hour out of my workday to reach out to my high schools or follow up on something, I just sort of flex that time later in the evening. So I'm very fortunate that way. Some 
programs and some advisors and employers may not. And so I think um, having a very clear picture with everyone involved on work time versus school time. And, um, you know, for your advisor, when are you going to be able to respond to emails for your employer? When are you not going to be reachable because you're in class and sort of mapping all of that out is really, really important. Right. So despite you having a really understanding employer slash advisor, have you ever dealt with the conflict of either, uh, you know, having to work when your advisor needs you to be doing it yeah, I think, yeah, the biggest thing for me is just um, sort of coworkers and my advisor just forgetting everything that I have going on. And so they're, you know, really big projects we're working on for work with various deadlines. And I kind of have to remind him, well, my data collection wraps up a month before that. So I don't actually know if it's realistic for me to get that much progress done on this work thing. Um, so really, Thankfully, it hasn't been too conflicting, but there's a lot of, oh, I forgot you had that. And he's got a lot going on. I've got a lot going on. The lab has a lot going on. So it's certainly not on purpose, um, but definitely just having the thing that's been most successful to avoid those conflicts is having regular meetings where we sort of start with what's, what what do you have going on? What are your projects right now, both work-wise and school-wise and just make me aware of everything that's going yeah. on. Um, Cause it's so easy that. to just be a little out of sight, out of mind on different projects. Totally. Um, and again, I think, you know, when I was kind of thinking through some general recommendations um, of how to keep all these balls in the air and juggle this whole process, really you have to assume that people around you know nothing, right. And they don't know mm. what you don't tell them. And so just being, um, honest with your advisor and your employer about deadlines that you can't meet or projects that you have coming um, Mm -hmm. is really important. But then also remembering that if they ask, if either side asks too much of you, it's probably not because they're trying to be rude or, you know, take your time back. They probably genuinely forgot or just didn't realize what demands on your schedule were. So coming into it, not thinking that you're getting slighted, um, and then people just, they didn't know. And, and you need to advocate for yourself um, to make sure that your time and needs are met. Yeah. And I, and I think you have a really unique situation where your advisor is your employer and vice versa. Um, I think that's really cool. And um, I also think it's important to point out that it's not their job to know everything that's going on for you. So totally. as a student or as as being the worker employee, um, we need to also make sure that we're advocating for, for ourselves and, you know, start the meeting by saying, Hey, just so you know, um, like let's, let's be open about this. And that's easily something that they would probably appreciate more than most people realize is just starting the meeting saying, Hey, this is what I have going on this week. Um, what, maybe what do you have going on? Because when I've been in the process of like editing and stuff, my supervisor has had like 10 other manuscripts on the way <laughs> and like on the Absolutely. go with a million other things. So I shouldn't expect him to also um, cater to my every need. Yeah. And I think that's so important, both on the employer side and the advisor side of having communication about, you know, when are they going to be out of town and unreachable or when mm-hmm. or do they have a grant deadline or some big customer visit or something that's going to make them unavailable to you Mm -hmm. as well. Um, Because you definitely don't want to get in a situation where 
things get so delayed because you didn't communicate your needs and demands on your time. And then they were just unavailable. And then at the end, everyone's left with how did this happen? Yeah. Right. So yeah. making sure, especially that when you, when you're in a situation where you have so many different things on the go with yeah. one person. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's such a unique situation. And I'm so thankful that my employer was so supportive to be my advisor. And obviously that's a little unusual because my full-time job is with a university and is doing research. There's a lot of other people who I work with who are still at the university, but maybe they're in a healthcare provider role or they were in more of a administrative departmental support role and realized that they wanted to go back to school. So that's a little different and the lines are a little less blurred, um, but it's it's been really helpful for me to have so much overlap and just feel like everything I'm doing in a given day is ultimately helping the bigger goal of yeah. my PhD. And it's also furthering my lab group, but there's also a lot of demands on my time for work with other studies and other administrative tasks that are completely unrelated to my PhD. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's not exactly a one-to-one, -one, but yeah. thankfully there's enough overlap that it seems manageable. And I have really good support from my advisor and my team that we all acknowledge that all of this is helping mm -hmm. <laughs> further kind of everything. Um, but yes, that is not the norm by any stretch of the imagination. And honestly, you probably wouldn't want a job that is exactly like your PhD anyway. It's probably good that you have that little sprinkle of like admin duties yeah. <laughs> and oh, just yeah. like other and things where totally. it makes it a job. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, um, depending on what lab you're in, this may or may not be familiar to you, but there's like computer programming code that we need to write yeah. and um, equipment that we need to deal with and troubleshoot and training. And there's, yeah, I think as much overlap as you can get, that's great. Um, but if there's not a lot of overlap, just having clear sort of um, hats that you wear and when you wear them and being mindful of what each task is achieving um, is kind of the only way to survive, to, yeah. <laughs> to make sure you kind of assign a value and an importance to each thing that you're doing. For sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So we talked a little bit about like communication um, and kind of separating your work and, and, and PhD to an extent in your case, mm -hmm. <laughs> being able to separate those. Um, but can you get it a bit more in depth on those or explain some of your other skills that you think are essential for balancing um, work and or PhD together? Yeah, I guess I touched on this a little bit, but um, making sure that you have something to unwind, right? It is so easy to just get so in the weeds with both things. And back to our point of burnout, if you don't have some other healthy outlet, be it you know, physical exercise or something artsy or just a hobby or a place that you can go to relax and disconnect. Um, that's recognizing when you need those breaks and knowing what you need to do to get that right. So like for me, I love crafting, which is so different than my day job and my school. What kind of crafting? Um, also, I make t-shirts and, you know, signs and koozies, like all of the things. Oh, Anytime a kid has a baby, I'm usually making something Aww. for them. So do you sell um, any of it? Sorry, I don't, I'm derailing well, here. No, that's totally <laughs> I'm like excited I, about this. I would love to start an Etsy business. And my <laughs> husband made it very clear that maybe working 
and going to school full time <laughs> and opening an Etsy shop was a bad idea. Maybe a little so, too much. <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, yeah, have put the pause on that. But, um, you know, that's a thing that is just such a break for me and, and gives me such a different, it uses my brain in a different way. Mm-hmm. And that's been really helpful for me to feel like I'm getting breaks. Um, and then, you know, we love going to concerts, obviously the pandemic kind of mm. squashed that a little bit, but yeah. we're getting back to it. Um, so just really identifying what things do I love and, and what things are refilling my cup and recharging my battery and, and recognizing when you need to do those so that you don't get too far past that point where, you know, you really start to suffer with regards to mental health and your interpersonal relationships are not going well either. So I think that's essential, um, for sure. Time management, like I mentioned before, and just having some sort of organization system, it doesn't have to be pretty, but you need to know that it works and you need to be Mm -hmm. confident in it. So I've got written to-do list and sticky notes on my desktop and calendar events and a variety of other things just to make sure that things don't get left behind. Um, so it's not pretty. And, you know, if coworkers see my desktop, they're like, what is going on over there? But it works. <laughs> it's getting yeah. things done. So it works for um, you. and then the other thing that is so, so important that I kind of feel like I had to realize the hard way is just not comparing yourself to other people around you in any capacity. Right. So like I mentioned, none of my friends are also in school. And so the things that they're able to do with their lives, be it, you know, houses that they're buying or trips they're taking or, career moves they're making, that just doesn't apply to me and it doesn't need to. And so making sure that you acknowledge this is your phase and other people are in other phases. And then similarly with people in my program, it can be really easy to get caught up in, well, when are they finishing or how did they already take this class or how many publications do they have? And like, we're all on different tracks. <laughs> they yeah. do not need to cross. They do, you do not need to compare them. So um, really just acknowledging that this is your journey and other people don't need to get it. And other people are not on your journey. And, um, you know, my program is extremely multidisciplinary in terms of the work that we're all doing and what our backgrounds are. So we don't need to be the same. Like we're not going to end up in the same place. So Mm -hmm. just give yourself some grace and give yourself a pass. And, and this is your journey. And I think, you know, I'm so glad with how forthcoming you are about mastersing out because that's another option, right? Like if you're working and doing school and it's not working for you, there are options and that's yeah. fine. Like that's, it's your own <laughs> journey. So, yeah. um, you know, I think that's very sort of existential with regards to how to balance them both, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. those are the challenges that I've faced along the way. And, and the things that I've really had to work through to get to a point where I feel like I'm doing okay with balancing both of these things. Yeah, no, I think that's so important to realize we're all in our own phase. Um, And it took me a long time to realize that. And I was constantly comparing myself and, and, you know, feeling like I was being pushed to do something I maybe didn't want to do. And so that's what led me to mastering out because I realized I just wasn't passionate about it. And it, it brings it back to like, why am I doing all of this for for not wanting to do this afterwards. Like I was just doing it just to do it. And I realized that wasn't my passion. So, you know, there, there are options and I'll still have a master's at the end, but even if I wanted to quit my PhD on the spot, that would also be okay because it's totally, I don't want to put in the time to finish a master's, you know? So, right. And similarly, like if the career that you 
have is not supporting your PhD or yeah. you're not passionate and that's falling behind, it's completely fine to make some shifts. So yeah. being really adaptable and able to do some self-reflection throughout the process really helps make everything work. Absolutely. Um, okay. So taking a bit of a break from like the mental well-being stuff here for, I guess this, this will affect mental well-being, <laughs> but how does working influence your funding opportunities? That is a great question and it can get so tricky. So for me personally, which is mostly all of my experience in this arena, yeah. <laughs> because I'm employed by the university that significantly limits my funding opportunities mm -hmm. to almost none. Because oh I'm a full-time employee and if I take funding as a full-time student, the university is like, whoa, 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 you're doing 200%. <laughs> There's no way you could do that. And I'm like, yeah. well, but I, I do. but this is, <laughs> yeah. so, um, and I didn't fully realize that going in. I think everyone in my program, um, in terms of the administration and our, um, support staff was like, obviously you're going to get this funded. Why wouldn't you get a PhD funded? And I think that that works if you are not employed at the university, right? Mm -hmm. Because then they don't know what my other hundred percent of my yeah. time is. So you can get yeah. funding. So, um, that was a little bit of a realization. And I kind of, I went in knowing that I was probably going to have to foot the bill for some of it, but, um, you know, at no point during the application process or did anyone in my department say, Hey, just want to let you know, since you're an employee here that's going to put up some roadblocks. So if you work for an institution that has any sort of overlap with where you're going to school, I would a hundred percent reach out to the grad school as early as possible. Cause that's who sets all these policies and oh. just lay it out on the table. I'm working full time. I want to get a PhD. What funding is available or, or what policies do you have in terms of percent effort or how my time is allocated? Yeah. Um, another really interesting thing that came up is I got the opportunity to TA a course and I mm. thought that would just be a great experience and great for my resume and to develop myself as a researcher and a sure. participant in academia. And I would have actually had to take a 25% pay cut to take the TA position because oh of departmental pub, like grad school policies. And so there were all these cool opportunities that I thought sound great and this is going to be yeah. wonderful. And then you dig into it and you realize that you could take a pretty big financial hit if you want to pursue these. So, you know, that's really specific to my situation of being employed by a university and going back to school at that same. But like I mentioned before, there's plenty of, you know, departmental support staff that want to go back and get a PhD in education and leadership or something. And that would apply to them as well. So that was tricky. Um, some funding also specifies if you're a full-time student or not, right? External funding. Mm -hmm. And so if yeah. part of your PhD agreement with your employer, or just with your advisor, is that you will not be taking a full course load, that might also really reduce a lot of your funding opportunities. So that's something to be mindful of when you're planning out your coursework and planning out how, how this whole thing is going to go, right? Yeah. Is, are, are there certain times where you really want or need to be funded to do your dissertation research or just based on your financial situation? And does your course load accommodate that? Yeah. Um, I will say that, you know, the grand scheme of things, grad programs tend to be a little bit cheaper to pay out of pocket for, because depending on your enrollment, a lot of the general fees at the school may not apply because your course yeah. load isn't high enough. 
And then certainly once you get to dissertator status and your credits drop way down, that becomes much more affordable. Mm. Um, but yeah, some things I wish I had known going in that I'm basically unfundable <laughs> in the, <Yeah>. eyes, <laughs> the eyes of UW, which is fine. Um, some employers will cover your tuition or cover part of yes. your tuition. Um, so that's that. certainly a conversation to have. And I think more employers are open to it um, in the similar ways that some employers pay for an MBA or some business mm -hmm. credits because it makes you better at your job and more marketable and can grow in your role a little bit better. So if you happen to have overlap between your job and school such that you getting a PhD would yeah. further your um, capabilities as an employee, that is typically an easier way to get it funded as well. But there's lots of private funding um, you know, I, one thing that I did with my advisor was agree to buy out part of my salary with some of the funding that oh. we got. So it's buying out my work salary, but it's for projects that help my PhD and also help our lab group. So we got a little creative in terms of funding myself professionally, at least, um, and buying out my time so that I could do my school work during the day, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's, it's just, it was surprisingly hard to get funding yeah. um, and a lot of a lot of no's from the university side where they could yeah. even like the pay the button on payroll to make this happen is not even there sort of thing. <laughs> so um, I just, you know, would hate for someone to get into a program and realize that it's going to cost them financially or uh, or they're going to have to take a pay cut because a lot of people may have kids or may yes. you know have income with a spouse or a partner that is essential to make their yeah. arrangement work yeah. in terms of, you know, mortgage payments and all of that. So, um, thankfully, you know, it was, it worked out okay for me and we had some flexibility to accommodate the lack of funding, but obviously that's not a reasonable solution for everyone. And so mm -hmm. reaching out to the grad school, reaching out to your employer, um, as early as possible, preferably when you're applying so that, you know, you can afford the program if you get in yeah. is really important. Yeah, and that applies to whether you're even working or not, but making sure you're very um, transparent with with the grad program supervisors because, yeah, sometimes you you get halfway through your program and you're like, oh, <laughs> I'm I'm like cutting down a lot of funding here, and especially if you're applying for different grants and stuff. Um, but I can't imagine um, what it would be like working for both because I've had to deal with them just as like a student status, I can't imagine both statuses at the same yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> it's a total no man's land. So if you can avoid it, I would recommend it unless other institutions are maybe more willing to work with their, um, I shouldn't say willing, if they have policies in place that support this situation. But I think it's relatively new in the world of academia to have employees yeah. going back to school and not just shifting 100% to one or the other. Um, so the policies are just a little outdated in terms of adapting. Yeah, honestly, it's probably just that they haven't gotten, had to deal with that. And so yeah. they're like, what do you mean you're working full-time and, and a yeah. full-time student? No, totally. it's not possible. <laughs> Changing their policy would affect like four people. So yeah. <laughs> they, they don't need to change their policy, but, um, you know, it can put you in a bad spot if you, if that's uh, an unexpected roadblock for you. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, okay, so to kind of wrap up um, this conversation, do you have any advice for students or people, I guess, probably uh, advice for employees who are considering doing a PhD 
while also pursuing a full-time job? I think the absolute biggest thing is figuring out why, like, why are you going back to school? Is it because it sounded nice? Is it because it's going to help you get this other job that you want? Are you trying to make a career change in terms of the area that you work in? Cause that's the only thing that's going to pull you through this whole process. Right. Yes. So for me personally, I, um, you know, did my master's while also while working a little bit and, um, thought that that was sufficient. I, I liked where that left me in terms of my professional skill set. I liked my role in my lab and that probably lasted for maybe three years. And then there were just opportunities that I wanted within the research space that really necessitated having a PhD in terms of going after grants or serving as PI, different opportunities to present the data and all of our research. So that motivated me to want to go back. Um, and for the longest time after I had my master's, I said, I'm never going back for, for work yeah. school. That just doesn't seem necessary. So, you know, for me, a switch flipped and it made it very apparent that there were things that I wanted to do and a PhD was how I could do them. Mm -hmm. So that to me has been a very clear motivator and has kept me focused this whole time. Um, but if you can't really pinpoint why beyond it sounds interesting, or I feel like I'm supposed to, or a lot of my coworkers have PhDs. Yeah. Um, that may work out okay, but it may ultimately not end up being a very sustainable reason yeah. for you to want to stick with this program. And again, if you start and want to drop out, that's fine. If you want to yeah. master out or um, otherwise just leave the program, there's no shame in that. But if you are really wanting to be successful in completing your PhD, you need to be very clear on why you're doing it and what it's going to allow you to do when you're done. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that you need to talk to all of your stakeholders before you apply or before you decide this. And so that's people like partners, your kids, your employer, friends, um, you know, if there are other organizations that you're a part of that have demand on your time, maybe like volunteer opportunities, just chat with all of them about it, see what their reaction is, see if they're going to support you. If they're not, maybe that's okay. Maybe you, you just stop, <laughs> you know, stop volunteering and pick it back up when you're done yeah. or something. But um, I think, you know, I had just had a lot of conversations with my you know, core group of people that yeah. I feel like would be my support system during this process mm -hmm. and just kind of pitched it to them. Like, here's what I want to do. Here's what I think it would look like. This is the timeline. I think we can get it done in, you know, what's your feedback? Like, is this going to work, you know, especially with my spouse, like, is this really going to work for us? Yeah. Cause it's going to put a lot of more demand on you in terms of dealing with the home and just maybe me not being available as much, mm -hmm. but, um, also just, making sure that no one has feedback that makes you think, oh, maybe, maybe I don't need to do that. Right. Like maybe coworkers or friends would say, oh, you, you could go to school, but did you think about this other opportunity that would allow you to do what you want to do, but not be four to seven years of, of your life and a lot yeah. of stress. So, um, kind of just taking a quick survey with those around you who you feel like are good stakeholders in this process. Um, and then also just know that you don't necessarily have to do it now, right? Like yeah. you don't have to decide tomorrow if you're going back to school. You can let that idea marinate for a little bit and um, 
you know, think on it for a while, because once you start great off to the races, but (laughs) you know, if you push it off a year or five years, like in the long run, it probably doesn't matter. So I just wouldn't rush into it and really, um, you know, take some time to think about it and see if that thought sticks with you or if it more came out of like a moment of frustration with work or seeing someone else (laughs) sounding cool or something like that. So, um, yeah, it's not, doing a PhD period is not for the faint of heart. Doing it while you have other very serious demands on your time Mm -hmm. is not for the faint of heart. Um, so just making sure you don't rush into it and that you have a really good support system around you is pretty crucial. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Cause as we've talked about this whole episode is like that demand and skill set that you have to have to be able to manage all of this at once and, and the real attention to your own well-being that you'll also have to uh, keep track of. For sure. And I can't believe I (laughs) failed to bring this up previously, but the other skill that I've really worked on a lot with my boss slash advisor is saying no to, I think that (laughs) the miracle I made it this long without bringing that up, but it's, uh, so appealing to say yes to everything and turn no opportunity down. And, um, you know, with that TA example that I gave my boss slash advisor was like, do you need that though? Like you've had opportunities to guest lecture, you TA'd in your master's, like, do you really need that? And so just working through, am I saying, why am I saying yes to this? And, um, but then also knowing that, uh, no one's gonna, no one's gonna think less of you. If you don't do something, they will think less of you. If you are committed to too much and you're not doing things well, right. So, um, saying no socially, professionally, academically, when appropriate is, absolute game changer um, if you can get better at that and I really think it's great your advisor questioned you on that because I think a lot of advisors are just like do it I mean sounds great it sounds great but but for them to say "Uh, I don't know about that is probably almost that first sense of like relief for you of saying totally oh yeah you're right (laughs) yeah and I've been really fortunate I mean I've worked with him my whole professional career after my master's so we have a really good working relationship, but yeah, finding an advisor or just people around you that challenge you that aren't mm-hmm. like, Oh, sounds great. Go for it. I'm sure you can handle it. Cause at some point you may not be able to. Um, so yeah, both personally figuring out how to say no, but then also having relationships with people around you where they can challenge you to make sure that you're not just habitually saying yes. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of, um, me learning to say no was hearing my supervisor say no mm-hmm. and, and saying, I'm not going to get to this this week. I'm not even going to try because, yeah. because if he can't do it, I mean, I can't either. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. hundred um, percent. All right. So before we finish up, is there anything else you'd like to mention or talk about? I guess you can't, you can't plug your Etsy, but is there anything <laughs> else you'd like to mention um, for those students? Or yeah. So I think, um, you know, I'm happy to be as much of a resource as I can with my limited in of one experience. So I think my social media handles will be up with this post and I'm happy to have people reach out. Um, and then we also, our lab group Badger Athletic Performance is really active on social media. So if the more sciencey side of what I do with runners and, and athletic injuries is interesting, definitely look up Badger Athletic Performance. We post all of our research and Um, I've been really fortunate to stay pretty busy throughout COVID. So lots of cool stuff coming out there as well. Right on. I'm definitely going to check that out. That sounds interesting. (laughs) 
Awesome. Awesome. So this has been Grad Chat by PhD Balance. Thank you, Mikkel, for, for um, joining us today. Um, so just a reminder, our episodes are now posted simultaneously on our podcast and YouTube channel on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern time. To find our podcast episodes, just search Grad Chat on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, you can connect with PhD Balance on our website, phdbalance.com, or on social media on Twitter and Instagram at phd underscore balance. Until next time, bye and take care of yourself.